everybody and welcome to the latest podcast, this one being for June 2017. And it's funny, last month in May, the first two weeks of the month, the weather was kind of okay, but there was a bit of a chill in the air and some quite strong winds. At one point, I know we even put the central heating in the house back on, which seemed ridiculous. But then the last two weeks of May, suddenly the weather changed and almost overnight it went to what is for us in the UK quite high temperatures and for most people when the sun comes out and the sky is blue they go yes the summer is here and they can't wait to get involved in it me I'm a bit of an indoors person I have to admit I'm kind of one of those people if I go out in the sun I don't I don't tan because I've got very fair skin I, I kind of stroke really and um, and also, I'm not really an outdoors person anyway. I often joke to my wife, if I, if I go outside, um, I'll get a nosebleed. So um, these these sort of things don't really, when it gets to summer, make me feel that happy, especially when I have to work. When I have to work in, in hot temperatures, I really don't like it at all. There's something about having sticky hands and just feeling basically too hot and uncomfortable in what you're wearing that makes it difficult for me to feel animated and lively. And I find that when I'm cooler, when I'm colder, I feel more animated than I do when I'm hot. I expect for some people it's around the other way, but that's just the way it is for me. And But of course, at this time of the year, over the summer months, that's when most weddings take place. And I do a lot of weddings every year. And of course, if I'm doing the drinks reception, quite often that will be, at least part of the time, will be outside. And if it's very, very hot, top of my head burns, my face burns, and I really don't like it. So the other problem that I have also, it's a bit of a problem, not an insoluble one, is that because I do mainly close-up, I have, for the last few years, been uh, wearing a purpose-made three-piece suit, which has special orientation and numbers of pockets. And because it's a three-piece suit... I have a waistcoat that has four extra pockets in it, which allows me to carry more um, props I need for the magic and not have to rely on any external bags or anything like that. The trouble is, in the summer, wearing a waistcoat, not only does it doesn't always look quite right, but of course it's extremely hot. So that means I have to take the waistcoat off and then I don't feel right because I haven't got the waistcoat on. I do have a lighter sports jacket, which I can wear instead of the three-piece suit. And um, and I wear that, tend to wear that in the summer mainly. The, the, that jacket has the same number of pockets in the, in the same position as the three-piece suit does. But I still kind of miss the waistcoat pockets. I suppose I ought to man up, really, and just, look, cope with it. And, of course, I do. But um, I just don't particularly like it. Fine when the weather's great and you're off on holiday... Perhaps not so fine when you have to work in it. What do you think? I was having a chat with a magician friend of mine the other day about what constitutes a good trick. Now, he and I are both roughly the same age. Where I like to refer to us as being slightly the wrong end of middle age. And for us, we both agreed that a good trick would be a routine of some sort. Something that had a, a magic effect that had some substance to it. it doesn't necessarily have to have one thing leading to another, leading to another, leading to another, but it had to have a context. It had to have a purpose almost to why you were doing this particular trick for lay people. 
But he and I are both reviewers of tricks for Magic Scene and, and we get most of the stuff that we get, which is often almost exclusively created by younger magicians. Most of it is flashy, quick, sudden magic, something very visual, something penetrating through dramatically something else or something changing instantly into something else. No particular logic for that, no particular um, build up to it often, just a very quick visual piece of eye candy. And although I like personally to watch an effect like that, in terms of it being practical to put into somebody's act or to actually do, I sometimes wonder whether a trick that has so little substance can be called a good trick if it's over in literally five or ten seconds. How do you actually ever do that for anybody? I suppose for somebody who's not trying to do an act but it just wants the odd trick to stick in their pocket to show friends down the pub, maybe that's okay. Um, and maybe for them that would constitute a good trick but for me and my friend it didn't we were always looking for something that had a bit more substance to it so I wonder if it is a generational thing or, or maybe it's not maybe it's just that the reason there are so many quick flashy tricks on on the market in, on the marketplace these days is because that's what people buy it may not necessarily be what they want it's what's available and it's what they buy and so therefore, from a commercial point of view, the people who are producing and creating magic are thinking to themselves, right, what will sell? Well, something slightly more involved may not, so I'll do something quick and flashy. And that's perhaps it's market driven from that point of view rather than whether, it actually, whether that actually makes a good trick or not. But it could be, couldn't it, that age is a factor in this. I think of the magic that I um, certainly I used to devise 30 years ago when I was young. It was often quite full of routine. There were often multiple stages to it. And in more recent times, I've realised that as the concentration span of my audiences has seems to be reduced or the conditions in which I'm expected to perform have encouraged me to do quicker tricks, I still have substance to them and I still have what I would consider to be a context or something around it to make it into something more substantial than a quick piece of eye candy. But the magic is definitely quicker. Whereas in the old days, uh, I used to come up with, with tricks that were much more convoluted and much, and much longer in their presentation or in the time it took to present them. So things have moved on, audiences change and we obviously need to change with them. But I still find myself preferring tricks which do seem to have something solid and commercial too because I'm a commercial performer, although that isn't necessarily the only thing that can make a trick good. But certainly I like something that has a little bit of substance and that I can make into a presentation that people will enjoy because as it's always been for me that the presentation is 90% of what I'm looking for and the trick is 10% and as long as the trick has got something about it that will enable me to attach to that a commercial presentation then I think that's a good trick and I'm happy to use it. Do you ever get frustrated when you put lots of thought, time, energy, money probably into advertising your shows? And that when you then start to get the benefit of that with inquiries and potential bookings coming in, that after you've sent back your quote, that you only get a very few bookings compared to the number of inquiries that you had. 
And it's very frustrating that, isn't it? You, you think, well, I, I've got my publicities out there. It's obviously doing a good job because otherwise I wouldn't be getting all these inquiries. But when I'm sending out my, my quotes, the number that I get is, seems to be very small compared to the, the amount of booking uh, inquiries that I've actually had. And it is a source of frustration, I'm sure, to everybody. And there are so many reasons why a person won't book you. It can be something as basic as just, well, you're too expensive. They just don't have the budget for it. Because I think sometimes people don't realise what a realistic fee might be for a, to entertain to, to book an entertainer. You know, they, they think, well, for 75 quid, they can have somebody for a couple of hours. Well, mostly that, of course, isn't going to be true, not if they want anybody half decent. So it's not that you what you were offering wasn't what they wanted. It was simply that they couldn't afford it. Or you might have a situation where somebody thinks, well, it might be interesting to have a magician. But at the same time, they're thinking, well, we or we could have a caricaturist or we could have a singer or we could have a juggler or whatever. So you're not the only type of entertainment that they are considering. So you send in your quote. Well, it's nothing to do with your quote, actually. But it's simply that they've decided not to have a magician at all. So, again, you, you lose out and it, it's really nothing to do with what you've quoted, the way you've done it or anything like that. And I've always thought that, that really there are three types of inquiry that we get. And it's often difficult to know at any given moment which of the three different types a particular inquiry or the latest inquiry might be uh, and i tend to to categorize these as cold inquiries warm inquiries and hot inquiries so a, a cold inquiry is where somebody is being extremely casual about their inquiry they've not done any research really they may, maybe they've they've just uh, somebody's mentioned a they've seen a magician on the television or somebody's mentioned they've had a magician and they oh yeah that wouldn't be a bad idea for the party let's find out how much they cost so they they go online type in magician and then their area pick out two or three and bang off an email just to find out what the charges are the, these people have not put a lot of thought time or care into the inquiry they basically just say, well, how much does it cost? I have no idea. Let's find out. So it's a really, really general inquiry, one that I would consider to be a very cold inquiry. Now, a warm inquiry is one perhaps where somebody thinks, hmm, we need some entertainment. Um, actually, a magician would be good. I wonder what magicians do. Let's go online and find out. So they type in magician and then their area, and then they start to do a little bit of research as to what magicians are offering, what the different types of magic are, whether it's strolling magic, whether it's cabaret magic, you know, just, just what do magicians offer? And they start to get an idea as they go to various websites. You, you start to educate yourself, as you do with anything when you start to do some research, about what is actually out there and then based on what they found out and what they think well actually I think this this strolling magic this walkabout magic I think that would fit in really well so then what they do is they start to find through a little bit more research three or four magicians who are offering that particular thing and then they send emails to them and the reason they're a warm inquiry is because they've done a bit more research they thought about it a bit more they kind of know a little bit more about what it is that they're looking for which is always a help and then they've applied to people who can supply that 
So rather than just not having any idea what you want and just sending out email inquiries to anyone who says they're a magician, these people have done more research. And now they've they've targeted magicians who offer what they think they would like to have for their event. So when you get those inquiries, they're probably reasonably sold on having a magician. So then it's down to, well, do they want you or somebody else? And that's why I consider them to be warm inquiries. And then the third one is hot inquiries. These are ones where perhaps you have been personally recommended by somebody else who has seen you. So, oh, you've got to have Magician X. We had him. He was fantastic. Um, you can find his details online, but he was great. Or where they've actually seen you perform. They've been at a dinner. You've come around to their table. You've done a really good job. They take your business card or they clock your name and then they look you up afterwards online and then they make an inquiry. Under circumstances like those, they're hot inquiries because they want a magician. In fact, they want more than that. They actually were quite like you because they've seen you work. They really were entertained by it and they feel safe with you because they know what they're getting. Or if somebody else has given you a personal reference and said, oh, he was great, we had him or we've seen him, then again, the same thing applies. You are a, They are a hot lead because you are somebody they they're almost certain they're going to book, provided you can do the date and you're not riotously expensive so that they can't afford you. So those are broadly, to, to my way of thinking anyway, are the three different types of inquiry. And the trick is, I think, is to get as many hot and warm inquiries as you can and to put off as many of the cold inquiries. The cold inquiries can turn into a booking, of course they can. But I think in percentage terms, if 80% of your inquiries coming through just on as cold inquiries then I think the return on them is likely to be very very small whereas if you have a smaller number of hot inquiries you let's say in a year you get 20 you might get 10 of them you may get more than 10 of them well that's 50 60 percent of, of success rate is very very high that's because they're a hot inquiry and with the ones in the middle the warm inquiries well again you know you, the percentage will probably balance somewhere not the best not the worst, it'll be somewhere in the middle. So the trick is to get your publicity and to get the way that people contact you correct so that it encourages the warm and the hot inquiries and discourages the cold ones. And the way that, that I, one of the best ways I think to do that is to make sure that you, people, rather than just send you any old email to inquire, whether they have to fill out a form an inquiry form on your website because I think that that means only those people who have got a genuine interest in having a magician are going to bother to fill out various fields of you know how many people where it is what's the date and so on and where is it and so on and so forth very cold inquiries very casual ones are not going to bother with that so it kind of gets rid of some of those and then the warm and the hot ones they will fill those out because they really genuinely want the information and they are then more likely to respond. So I think little things like that can really help to get for you the right inquiries. And if you then start to get more of the warm and hot inquiries, of course, then the number of, in of bookings that you get to inquiry should improve. It's never going to be massive. It's never going to be 50% overall. But if you can get, say, I, I tend to get about one in three, which I am extremely happy with uh, as, an, as an average. 
well if you can get that sort of turnaround of of um, take up then it's really worth doing next year will be a bit of a landmark for me because it will be exactly 40 years since i did my first club lecture i can't believe it was so long ago but but it is and i can't escape that fact and ever since i first started lecturing um lectures have gradually i've noticed changed when i very first started basically what you did in a lecture was you you turned up you had your ideas you performed and you explained them and then you probably had one or two things to connect it with the lecture which were available for sale afterwards um, these were just bits and pieces that instead of the magician having to make up the trick he could buy it ready made but everything was fully explained and often these things could be and, as, and certainly this was over the years this is the way i've always done it is that I never wanted to be in a situation where somebody's watching a lecture and they have to buy the props in order to do something that's in the lecture. So in other words, it's a convenience that if people wish to buy them, they can, but they don't have to. They can still make the stuff up themselves because the magic uses things that can easily be constructed. But gradually, uh, over that 40-year period, I've noticed a change not so much in, i have to i hasten to add in the way that i've been doing it because i've just always basically done it the same way but but more recently in the last 10 to 15 years especially there's been a far more commercial bias to a lot of the output from lecturers and i think particularly when perhaps somebody's coming from overseas they realize that they've got a lot of expenses they need to make more money to make the whole tour worthwhile then sometimes they will take some stuff from the lecture and they'll make that up. But they'll also bring other things too, which they'll kind of half explain and which you need to buy. It's almost like, kind of like a dealer dem. And of course, some magic clubs have been bitten quite badly by certain people who've turned up and almost exclusively done what feels like a dealer dem from start to finish. You can't perform the stuff because you need, unless you're prepared to buy the props in order to do it. And this, of course, has given lecturers a bad name, particularly if they also happen to be a magic dealer. And I've always had to slightly fight against this. I am a dealer, but when I do a lecture, it is a lecture. Anyway, the latest lecture that, I've, that I'm starting to do in uh, this year and it'll be going carrying on into next year uh, is eClub Pro Live. And this is the 2017-18 version of it. And for this, I've decided to have no saleable individual tricks from the lecture at all. Because everything in the lecture you can either make up or you'll have the props for already. So there is nothing for you to, to have to, cons to, to buy in order to do the tricks at all. I think it's lectures like perhaps they used to be, more like they used to be, where there wasn't this accent on sale, sale, sale all the time. And um, there is an offer that I make at the end of the lecture, but it's it's not nothing to do with the individual items. You don't have to sit there and think, well, shall I buy that one or that one? So in a way, and I, I must admit, I, I did this for the first time uh, on a little mini tour that I did in America back in April. And I must admit, from my point of view, I, I found it much more relaxing not to have to think that at the end of the lecture, I have to do some big sales pitch. It, 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 I didn't have to try and, and drag great 
box loads of, of product around and hope that I could sell them. It, it, it meant that I didn't worry about any of that. I could just have fun with the lecture, enjoy doing it and not feel that pressure at the end. And I'm now going to be doing the eClub Pro Live lectures in this way in this country, in the UK. And I'm hoping that members will like this, that they'll find it refreshing and something a bit different. So if your club is looking for a, a nice full evening lecture that is really genuinely is not a dealer dem, then please do get your secretary or president or your events organiser to, to contact me. And at the moment, um, I have got a... Um, uh, uh, some availability obviously in the rest of this year but also for next year too so feel free to get in contact and we can talk about some dates and I would love to, to bring that eClub Pro live uh, lecture to your club room soon now I've just mentioned the fact that uh, I did a little mini lecture tour in April in the United States and one of the reasons that I do it at that time of year is because that's when I'm usually going over to attend the 4Fs Close Up Magic Convention in Batavia and um, every year that I go, I am amazed at the quality of some of the close-up performers that Obi O'Brien books to uh, either lecture or to perform at the event. And the, the highlight for me this year was definitely the, the Friday night show, which was an all-fism winners show. And the standard of magic and creativity uh, and just skill and, uh, and cleverness generally in the presentation and everything to do with, with the act uh, was truly outstanding for all of them. That's why, of course, they were FISM winners. But it really was great to watch one after the other, so, many, so much high-octane uh, magic. And one of the things that is, seems to be quite a common theme amongst a lot of the top acts is their use of music. You know, you tend to think of music being generally only used for cabaret acts, perhaps certainly stage acts, but you don't tend to think of close-up magic being done entirely to music. And under the circumstances that these FISM acts are going to be performing, it is actually something that they can do. It's practical, if you're doing a relatively short act, to have the entire thing to music. And the advantage from the close-up magician's perspective is that he can do lovely visual magic to anybody from any nationality. You don't have to worry whether they're understanding you. You don't have to, if you're not English and you feel that you ought to be performing in English, instead of performing in pidgin English, which, which often for people who are English or who speak English well can be quite painful to listen to sometimes, then if you have the whole thing done to music, it elevates the whole thing hugely. And rather than the voice and the patter and the, the bad, I was going to say bad language, I don't mean foul language, you know, bad use of language, dragging the magic down because it's, a, it's something that puts you off when you're watching it. By using the music, the whole thing is elevated. It gives it atmosphere and it gives it uh, almost a, an importance that otherwise it might not achieve. And, and a lot of the top acts do use at least part um, of their act will be done to music. And it led me to think, I wonder whether you could do that in a commercial situation. And I was thinking, well, actually, you can. Because these days, with obviously music on your, on your phone, easy to, to, to have a, a track where you could do, say, put your phone down on the table and, and hit some music and, and just do something visual. 
and it would be very, very different. It might even get people's attention. I think it would probably be loud enough to be heard at a table, unless the ambient noise from other diners and conversations so on is, is really deafening. I would think most people uh, on a relative, let's say a table up to about eight people, would be able to hear it. Uh, and that would suddenly broaden out what you could do and would make your close-up offering for that table very different because they wouldn't be expecting that. So food for thought there. If you've, if you've never thought about doing close-up magic to music commercially, maybe that's the way that you could do it. Now, I was talking earlier on in this podcast about the three different types of show inquiry that I think many of us can get, the sort of cold, warm and hot versions. And when the probably the most common, it could be the warm ones, the ones where they do a bit of research and then they want to find a magician who can supply what they then think that they need, having read on a few websites what magicians can offer. And to get the inquiry to come to you when there might be a lot of competition out there, you need to, as much as possible, or your website needs to give you some credibility. Now, credibility can be done by you having some good video footage showing you working so that people get a feel for, for what it's like when you're what you're like even as a performer. So that's a good thing. And also, of course, um, testimonials, nice things that people have said about your act when you have performed for them. Now, how you get those, of course, you can just sit there and hope that you've done such a great job that after each show, people will write you and say, that was the best magic show I've ever seen or whatever. But actually, in practice, this doesn't happen because I think well, much as we would like it to, and no matter how great a job we've done, generally speaking, people kind of move on. They've had their event They've had their wedding, they go on honeymoon. They've had their part, their 70th birthday party uh, and they get on with the rest of their life. So in order to get enough testimonials, I think in a way you have to try and elicit them. And the way that I've always done that is to send after each booking to the person who's booked me an email. Now, ostensibly, this email is to, to thank them and it's something I want to do anyway, to thank them for booking me to entertain them. But then as part of that, I then also say and that if they have any positive comments that they would like to make about how the magic helped with their event, that I would be delighted to receive them because uh, and pass them on to other people consider considering booking me, because obviously it's always better to hear what people say who've actually seen the magic. And I'm upfront about that. I say, you know, if you would like to make some positive comments so in other words, I'm not asking for just general feedback. So if there's things that are wrong, I'm not actually asking for that. I mean, actually, if something is wrong, I'll hope, I hope I will know or I hope that they will tell me anyway. But, but for, in terms of soliciting positive things, then I think you need to ask for pos just a couple of positive comments. And in these days, because there is so much emphasis these days on whatever you buy, whatever service you use, people are asking you for referrals. I think it would it's not surprising that we as magicians should do that, too. So the fact that you ask um, will not seem strange. I don't think it won't seem too forward because they get asked by Amazon every time they make a they make a, a purchase. They get asked to, to rate it. But I think the key here is is to ask for positive comments. And then when you get those, what I do is um, I keep them all uh, on in various files on my computer and I and I split them into like all wedding comments and all sort of 
birthday party comments and so on. And so that then I can put some on my website, but also every time I have any communication with somebody who's making an inquiry about possibly booking me, then I will have one relevant quote that will be somewhere on the email or whatever, it, or the confirmation um, PDF or whatever it is I'm sending them. It will have a relevant quote of someone else saying that they'd book me to do what this person is either inquiring to or what they've just booked me for saying that it was great when they had me do the same thing I think it kind of builds the confidence in you as a performer that other people have said that what they want you to do they've already had and it was great so even when somebody's already booked I still put one on one they haven't seen before I never repeat one to the same person so that it it gives the impression hopefully rightly so that I will do a good job for them and that they can trust me and that if they haven't booked me already they really should Right, another half an hour has flown by. Thank you so much for uh, coming in out of the sun, if that's what you've done, in order to stay inside with me, a little indoors person that I am, in order to listen to this podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you, and I shall look forward to getting my stuff together and finding some more hopefully interesting topics to regale you with next month. Have a good month in the meantime. 